0: Father, we, we come to a new book, a new study, a new season um, as we are, are now building toward Resurrection Sunday and, and everything that comes along with that season. Um, Lord, we ask that you would uh, guide our, our time in your word. Uh, may it, may uh, it transform us, may it renew us, may it challenge us, may it open our eyes and our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be, like I said, in the book of Deuteronomy for the next six weeks. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about this about this book. Um, real quick, Deuteronomy is, the Greek is, is Deuteros Nomos, the second law. I mentioned that last week. This is a reiteration of the law of Moses, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Now, we call it one of the books of Moses, and when it gets quoted in the Scriptures, often uh, the person quoting it, Jesus or Paul or whoever, will say, Moses said. Um, And they're always quoting what Moses is actually saying in the book. The book is composed of a series of basically sermons um, uh, that Moses delivered. The book itself, however, um, there's one big flag to say that Moses did not write the book of Deuteronomy as it is today, what we call the canonical form, and that is the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It tells us how Moses died. Um, Most people don't write that. Um, uh, So so there are a couple of theories about the book of Deuteronomy. I want to share them with you. I'll tell you where I land on the spectrum. Uh, One is that Moses wrote, literally sat down with a quill, or a stylus and wrote the book of Deuteronomy out himself, um, and then Joshua or somebody else just put that tag on at the end about Moses dying, um, and that's that's kind of the old school position of it. Uh, that's the view that was that's generally um, presented as being the conservative view, and and that view is that Moses somewhere in about the early 14th century or well actually mid 15th century B.C. Moses sat down and wrote the book of Deuteronomy after writing Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Um, On the other side of the spectrum, there's a very, uh, very um, liberal view, uh, which is that Deuteronomy is really the work of post-exilic Jews justifying the priesthood. Um, And these people say that Deuteronomy was written somewhere around 500 B.C., so about a thousand years difference between these two views. And the idea is that it's all fiction. It, it, It was just invented to to um, put Moses' name and authority on the way that they were running things, all right? So those are two abstracts. It come as no surprise, anybody that's known me for a long time, I land in the middle um, because I believe uh, truth and tension. And, I, and if you read the book of Deuteronomy, and, and I, just as, a, just as a, an aside to this, a study of this bit of Deuteronomy as part of my doctoral dissertation um, but if you read Deuteronomy, you see certain characteristics about it that indicate um, that Deuteronomy is a, um, a book that was written during sometime in the 8th or 7th century um, BC, during the reigns, probably during the reign of either the king Hezekiah or the king Josiah. These are two important uh, Judite kings, um, and the dates and everything are in the study guide. I'm going to bore you about that. Um, But Hezekiah is actually incredibly important for the scriptures because um, he has a a very important role in a number of books of the Bible. Um, And it seems like his reign was a time of a real consolidation of Hebrew literature. Um, Now, all the way over here we go, well, Moses, you know, Moses, did Moses write uh, the, uh, the sermons that are there? Uh, now, I've, I'm enough of a pointy-headed fundamentalist. I believe that, that uh, Moses actually delivered these speeches and that they were written down. So um, I, I, I believe that Moses delivered them. The problem is they most definitely were not written in Hebrew. Hebrew does not emerge as a language until about the 11th century B.C., so about four or 500 years later. Um, Moses would have spoken some kind of proto canaanite um, I know that you guys are super excited with all those technical terms, um, but basically, uh, if you read the Old Testament, right, and you read about all the kingdoms around Israel, you got Israel, you got Judah, you got Edom, Moab, Ammon, uh, Syria, which in Hebrew is actually called Aram or Damascus Aram, um, all of those kingdoms spoke languages that are part of a group called Northwest Semitic or Arama- Aramao-Canaanite, and you guys are all writing this down, right? Um, they're all, they're all basically, essentially, more intelligible to each other than Spanish and Portuguese. All right, so a person who speaks Spanish can read a Portuguese book and get a pretty good idea of what's going on, vice versa. All right, um, these languages are actually closer together than even that. In fact, the only way you really tell which language an inscription is is by the shapes of the letters. For the most part, the vocabulary is the same. The grammar is the same. A lot of the functionality is the same. Um, and those languages all emerged around, around uh, 1100 to 1000 BC as separate languages. And Hebrew is one of those languages. Um, it's, it's very closely related to the Canaanite languages. Uh, the people are not related, but the languages are related. Um, so Moses must have smoke, spoken in some proto-Canaanite language, And then he couldn't have written it in Hebrew for the reason already mentioned. Hebrew didn't exist. But not only did Hebrew not exist, the alphabet didn't exist. Um, The alphabet was actually invented by, believe it or not, the Canaanites. Now, if you read a history book, who invented the alphabet? Those of you that are in school, what group do they claim? The Phoenicians. Uh, Phoenician is another word for... Canaanites who live on the coast. The Phoenicians were Canaanites, all right? Um, And uh, and, and, uh, that was was who they are, all right? They they were coastal Canaanites. They lived in the cities of Tyre, Sidon, Byblos, and uh, what is today coastal Lebanon. Um, And they, they basically developed the alphabet around 1100 B.C., all right, around the time that all these languages are diverging. So when Moses spoke... When he shared these, one of two ways. The books would have written one of two ways. The records would have been written. Either in a variation, what's called alphabetic, hieratic Egyptian. (laughs) All right? Everybody's familiar with Egyptian hieroglyphs, right? You know, all the hieroglyphics. And and I spent the last two years of college, uh, every free minute I had, in Boston, reading um, hieroglyphic inscriptions off of sarcophagi in the Museum of Fine Arts, um, because I'm a nerd. And, uh, but... Essentially, that's right, uh, nerds rule the world, never forget that. Um, so, so hieroglyphics is too complicated for the average person to learn. There's hundreds of thousands of symbols, and you just invent a new one when you, don't, when you have a word you don't know what a symbol is for. So they developed a language, a, a syllabic language, which means there's one symbol per syllable that we call hieratic. Um, uh, and if any time you see attic at the end of a word, it means, uh, means it's developed from. And, and so hieratic, then the the canaanite and what what the egyptians called the asians i know you guys are all super excited about all this um took the hieratic and they listened to the way that the egyptians pronounced things and they kind of took the sounds and assigned them to their own language so they could write their language with the hieratic celebrity okay um that's one way that moses may have written the other is cuneiform which is the most laborious writing system in the history of mankind you take a clay tablet. You take a papyrus reed that you've cut into a triangle, and you press it into the clay and make shapes. And there's usually four or five shapes per letter. So you're you're writing like this. This is this is All right, not cursive. Not not an easy thing to do. Um, and and so that cuneiform existed. Um, it's actually the writing system that was used for all of the languages in the Mesopotamia, so the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Akkadians, the Sumerians, all of those, those people you learned about in the first semester of Western Civ in like middle school, they all used this writing system. And the, the Canaanites at some point, they actually adapted Cuneiform to write their language. Okay? Um, in the site of Ugarit, you, you have a bunch of tablets where they're experimenting. They haven't quite figured it out. So they have like three of one letter and two of them. They've got different symbols that represent the same thing. Oh, and by the way, I should mention this. Semitic languages decided that vowels aren't important, so they don't write those. So they're, they're, So if you have the word king um, in a Semitic language, all the Semitic languages, the word king is the same, melek. Um, you just write MLK. You don't write any vowels. You just assume that everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, I wonder why we don't use that system now. Um, Anyway, uh, at some point in one of those styles, Moses' records, Moses' speeches that are in Deuteronomy were written down. They are not the same thing as Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. They have a lot of differences between the two of them. They don't disagree. They just have material in them that's not in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. They're presented in different ways. Um, And so at some point they got written down and then they got passed along, all right? Now today, how long does a book? If you buy your kids a book, how long does it last? Forever? Um, generally, when I was a kid, we had a closet full of those golden, those little golden books. Do you remember the golden books? They had like like a little golden binding on them, and they were simple reading kids reading books. Those are all gone now. They've all they're all compost now. All right, paper paper doesn't last forever. Clay. Burnt clay lasts forever. We're still digging up pieces of clay tablets from thousands and thousands of years ago. They're broken up into pieces, but they're still there. Um, uh, So what seems to have happened, then Moses gave the speeches. They were recorded somehow, cuneiform, hieratic, syllabary, whatever, and then were transmitted some way, not word of mouth, but as a literature, they were transmitted down the centuries by a small group of what became Israel. Okay, um, probably a group of prophets is, is probably who is responsible for this. They were not known in the general public. Now, how do I know that? Um, how do I know that Deuteronomy is not known by most of the Israelites? Um, because through the books of Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, and First Kings, people are clearly ignorant of the rules that are in Deuteronomy. Kings are ignorant, people are ignorant, prophets are ignorant. So there's a lot of people that don't know about this. Um, And so at some point, somebody took all that transmitted material along with um, a lot of judgments that came out of that transmitted material, decisions about very specific things, and they put it together as the book of Deuteronomy. Now that does not mean that the book of Deuteronomy developed over time and people added material as they wanted to, but rather that Deuteronomy was... Moses' speech along with interpretations of that Moses' speech put together in a form that was useful to a people during um, a particular time in history. All right? Um, So they took it and they said, this applies. This applies to our current context. There are a couple of big themes that you will see over and over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. One of them is... um, If you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. Okay? Over and over and over again. And there's a very, very, very specific set of curses curses in the book of Deuteronomy that describe in detail what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC when they were taken captive by the Assyrians. Um, They describe the things that happened in the sieges. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy, and you'll encounter this, describes a type of siege warfare only the Assyrians used. And the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom in the 8th century B.C., 722 B.C. So you have this this weird moment where they take um, the record of Moses that's being transmitted Over these centuries, they take it and they present the pieces of that that are not necessarily in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers that speak to their context at that moment. Some of the things that are in there as well. There are rules about how a king should be a king. There's nothing like that in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. Nothing. There's no mention, no positive mention of a king. In fact, the book of Numbers very specifically says that God is the king of Israel. So why then is it in Deuteronomy? Did they make it up? No. Moses gave a speech that had a code for a king, but it wasn't important until they had a king. Okay? So you see how this is, people didn't think it was important until it comes up. So there's a lot that goes on in the book of Deuteronomy. That's, this is all just an introduction to reading the book of Deuteronomy to explain how this study guide works. This study guide is not a devotional. You should know by now you're not going to get warm fuzzies from the things I write. I do not sit there and go, and so this is an encouraging application for your life. Instead, what I've done in the study guide is I have brought a bunch of historical context into the conversation. So as you read a chapter and then you read a section, you go, oh, that's why this is in here. That This addresses this. That addresses that. Um, things about... Things about as as weird as it sounds. I mean, some of the things that must have been common in Canaanite society, like marrying your sister, um, had to be addressed. I know you're all going gross, right? But that that's that had to be addressed, and so it was dealt with. Um, So as we go through the study guide, you're going to encounter the reality that the study guide is not going to line up with the messages that we preach on Sundays. In other words, it's not going to be study this passage and then I'm going to preach on the passage at the end. That's not how it's going to work. We're reading our way through the book of Deuteronomy to give ourselves background and connection for our study of the book. And, and so we're filling in um, the blanks. And so grab that study guide. It starts on Monday. There's a passage, The there, 34 chapters of Deuteronomy, divided up into just weekdays, all right? So we got six weeks, but only weekdays, Monday to Friday, that we're reading uh, Deuteronomy. It won't take long to read, won't take long to connect uh, to the passages that we're dealing with. So where do we start with Deuteronomy? I want to start in Deuteronomy chapter 11. So I invite you to turn there. That was all introduction, but promise you, I promise you the sermon's going to be short. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, one of the things that you will encounter over and over and over in the book of Deuteronomy is what we're called portable texts. Uh, a portable text is something that um, when something is being recited aloud, uh, serves as like a bookmark. So somebody recites a section of of an oral text. How many of you have ever been to a live performance of Shakespeare? All right, a couple of you. Um, Gets kind of brutal after a while, doesn't it? Um, Because Shakespeare is infamous for just never going back over things that he did before. He loved to invent new words. He loved to go different ways. So you, you, I've, I've read, and I can't verify this, but I've read that to perform Hamlet live takes like seven hours, an unabridged version of Hamlet. Those are actors right there. I mean, that is some serious work if you can maintain that. And they used to perform sometimes two and three different plays every week. Wild. Um, but uh, you read Shakespeare, it's like, it's crazy. Now, how many of you have ever read the Iliad and the Odyssey? Okay, a couple of you read that. Have you noticed in the Iliad Odyssey, they have these portable texts, uh, Achille, uh, swift-footed Achilles, the wine-dark sea. There are these lines that pop up. In, did Siri just... Somebody... Anyway, um, the, uh, you, know, you have these phrases. The point of that is to kind of wake you up as you're starting to kind of get into a, a, a pattern and suddenly, oh, that's familiar, and we recite. Deuteronomy does that all the time. One of the things that it picks up over and over and over again is the idea of fear and love, fear and love will alternate throughout the book, all right? Do not fear, do not be dreadful, uh, love the Lord your God. And Deuteronomy 11 opens with, you shall therefore love the Lord your God. That's a portable text that's meant to remind you, draw you back uh, to the first quote of that. But we're actually going to go uh, to verse 26 in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Um, we're going to read this passage. Uh, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. All right? So this is Moses speaking for God and saying to the people of Israel, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you may not may have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun? In other words, west. All right. Um, in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oak of Moreh, for you are to cross over the Jordan to take into possession of the take go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and when you possess it live in it you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today now i want to give you the context of that so i have a picture pop all right now you notice the similarity between the cover and the graphic of studies in deuteronomy and this these are two mountains mount gerizim and mount ebal they are literally two mountains that the main highway, north-south hi- or the north-south highway, runs between, runs next to them and an east-west highway runs um, between them. Okay? Um, when, when the description says, when you read the descriptions, are they not beyond Jordan west of the road? That's literal. There was a road north-south and these two mountains were to deeply the west. And then it says, um, it says toward the to going down of the sun. You walked up the road. You got to Ebal and Gerizim. You turned right toward the sun, and there was another road. Th- this is an actual geographic description of where these two mountains are. This is actually the, the Palestinian city of Nablus is where this is now. I was there in 2014. This is not my picture. Um, I didn't know I was there until after I realized But Mount Gerizim is actually where the Samaritans eventually worshipped. Nablus is the city that's in between those two mountains. And and the two mountains are visible from the Jordan River. Just like the Uncanunics are visible for us coming from 101. You know, you're coming west from uh, from the beach and you know you're close to Manchester when you see the Uncanunics in the distance, right? It's the same thing. So from the the Jordan River, you can see these two mountains. They stand next to each other. Uh, There's some lower mountains in front of them. Um, and what what Moses commands them to do is to build two stone monuments. Put the blessings on Mount Gerizim, the top of the mountain, and put the curses on Mount Ebal. Now this is going to... I'm just going to give you the context of where this is. This is where Abraham settled. Right here. This is the ancient city of Shechem. Shechem. Um, Nablus is the ancient city of Shechem. In Nablus is the well of Jacob. Now that I did go see, all right, um, where where uh, supposedly the woman at the well met Jesus. Okay, this is an important place biblically. All right, Mount Gerizim is the is the mountain where the Samaritans eventually build their temple. I've actually seen the site where that temple was. Okay, and it's torn down now, um, but it's an archaeological dig up on the side of Mount Gerizim. The idea was, when you get into the promised land, you build two monuments and you put one on either side of these so that whenever somebody is going north, south, or has to head to the coast, and they're going to pass through the ancient city of Shechem, they see the monuments to God's blessing and curses. Uh, Shechem is was the first capital of the northern kingdom, the rebellious kingdom that, that rebelled against David. There's a lot that goes on in there. Um, when we read that, you go, okay, so how would they know how would they know the monument was there? All right? Did they write the whole book of Deuteronomy? No, you would have a, a large monument built on top of one of these hills, and it would have uh, wording on it big enough that you could see that there was something that you needed to go look at. And the idea was you walked there and you had to choose. Do I choose blessing? Or do I choose curse? Um, and I already mentioned Abraham, all this stuff. Um, here, here's the interesting thing. If you go to Nablus, all right, if you go to this city, this, this, now this city now, um, uh, we were there on uh, Nicole's birthday, um, but, uh, but when we were in Nablus, when they say, when, when you get the description of it's west of the road and then you go toward the sun, there's literally nowhere else to go. All right? You are stuck. You make a choice. That's why the monuments are there. You have to choose blessing or cursing. There's no other path. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he wanted to teach people something. <laughs> All right? Like the monuments were there the way they were for a reason. But look at what it means to obey and what it means to disobey. It says, the blessing, if you obey the commandments of your God, which I command you today, that's verse 27 and verse 28, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but, this is disobedient, disobedience turned aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods you have not known. The God we know and the God we don't know. That's the difference between blessing and cursing. As Christians, we choose, do we follow the God that we've come to know or do we follow the gods that we do not know? And there's all kinds of playing on words going on. Of course, with Adam and Eve, when the serpent talks to Eve, the serpent says to Eve, oh, he doesn't want you to eat the fruit because if you eat the fruit, you will be like the gods, what? knowing good and evil. Um, You will have knowledge. If you just follow this path, you will have knowledge that you, you... You have knowledge that God doesn't want you to have. And so we have this idea of obedience and false gods. Now, keep in mind when this is being written. Now, this definitely occurred... All right, it's in, it's in Exodus and Leviticus. It's repeated in Joshua that they, they had this talk about Ebal and Gerizim. Um, it, this is a historical event. And yet, um, when Deuteronomy is being written, it is in the time period after the northern is- tribe of Israel, the northern tribes of Israel had formed their own kingdom, had existed for about 200 years, and then been wiped out. And the reason they were wiped out was for following after unknown gods. These two mountains, by the way, are in the territory of the northern kingdom. And the idea is, do you remember when Moses said to us, you have a choice? And then people went, we'll be fine. These monuments are never mentioned again. We know that Joshua built them. We don't have them. We don't have any fragments of them. We have no idea where they could possibly be. They may be under that city, to be perfectly honest. It's really difficult to find stuff in Israel because it's been so built up. and, and they, they live literally in the same places that they lived thousands of years ago, and they just pile up on top of things. Deuteronomy looks back at the failure to obey a simple command of God and says, look what happened. That's really what Deuteronomy does. Now, what's the application for this? If you're going to write, any, if you're bored out of your mind, now's the time to pay attention. The question Deuteronomy asks is not, "Where have you been?" In other words, let's talk about all the past of the wilderness wanderings and all that. Deuteronomy doesn't deal with that. Dispenses with all the wilderness wanderings in the first chapter. Deuteronomy does not ask, where have you been? Deuteronomy asks, how will you go forward? How will you go forward? What will you choose going forward? That's the question that Deuteronomy asks. Because for the people of Judah, who were the remaining Israelite kingdom, looking at at Israel, the northern kingdom being destroyed, the big question was, how do we go forward from here? How do we honor God going forward from here? And if, and if there's any kind of practical element to the book of Deuteronomy and our study, it is this. Right? It is this. The past is the past. You live with it. Don't live in it. How will you go forward today? Um, for some of us, we're standing at the intersection of the the north-south road and the east-west road going, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to go forward. I don't know how to live. I don't know how to obey. Because of all the things that have happened in the past. Uh, God is totally aware of, of the past of Israel and He's totally aware of the past of His people. The question is, how do you go forward? How do you go forward? Um... And the monument's purpose, the call of the blessing and the curses, was not to give the people of Judah the opportunity to be able to to knock down everybody that had failed. Look, God told you you were going to be cursed if you did that. But rather to live in the blessing. And the question that Deuteronomy asks is, how will you go forward from here? I don't know how to apply that to your life, Everybody's life is a little bit different. Everybody's road is a little bit different. Everybody's path is at a different elevation, different angle, different obstacles. But the question that God asks in Deuteronomy is how do we go forward from here? Um, join me in a word of prayer. Father, it's a simple thing to say, go forward. For most of us, it's an easy thing to do. For others of us, it's there's so much standing in the way. But Father, help us to move forward, whatever that means for us and in whatever context we're in. Lord, to walk where we need to walk and to be the people that you need us to be, you call us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with a song. I invite you to...